<clears throat> Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would bless our time in your word tonight and that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that you give me wisdom, grace, power as I preach. Pray that you would open up our hearts before you tonight, cause us to be convicted of sin, and I pray, Father, that you would give us humility and repentance and faith. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How you guys doing? Lots of tireds, I heard. I didn't hear many goods. Tired, tired, tired. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. <coughs> Tonight... Tonight we're going to deal with what is, I think, one of the most well-known passages in the Bible. It's certainly one of the most abused and hijacked passages in all of Scripture. It's a, a perfect example of a pearl that has been trampled under the feet of pigs. So, look with me at Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, why would I say that this is one of the most well-known and abused passages in all of Scripture? They take, we take the first two words, that's it. What did you say? So if people use it to say that you can't judge their sin. What do you mean by that? So it's used to silence any call to repentance or any call to faith. How does that work? How does that work? Give me a scenario. Have you ever had somebody tell you, quote this passage to you, to silence your conscience, to squelch maybe even your love? <clears throat> How have you heard this passage abused? Okay, what do you mean? Well, I want to start, thank you, Emily. I want to start tonight 
by speaking about what this passage does not, cannot mean. Okay? The first thing this passage absolutely cannot mean is that you may not make any judgments at all whatsoever. This passage cannot be used categorically to silence all judgments. Why? Well, to make it mean that, you would first have to accuse Jesus of being a hypocrite. Right? You'd have to accuse him of having a log in his eye. Why? Because throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount, the context of him saying that, he's constantly making judgments and dispensing judgments. About the, the scribes and Pharisees, for instance, he spends the first half of his sermon using them as a foil. You've heard that it was said, but I say. And then he spends the second half of his sermon judging how the scribes and Pharisees live and using them as object lessons, as bad examples. So when he teaches his disciples about how to pray, what does he say? How does he start? He doesn't say just positively pray in this way. He starts by saying, do not pray like the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees. Do not fast like them. Do not give money like them because they are hypocrites. <clears throat> he doesn't just judge their actions either. He judges their motives. He asserts that they give their money, that they pray their prayers, and that they fast all in order to be seen by men. He calls them hypocrites, and he does this not just in the Sermon on the Mount, but all over the Gospels, right? So here in this same sermon, Jesus is making judgments about people, right? And he's not just judging what they do, he's judging their intentions. They want to be seen by men. He's constantly judging people's hearts. Now, what's, what's the response to me saying that? That's Jesus, right? That's Jesus. He's perfect. Jesus is perfect. He can stand to be judged by his own standard, right? We can't. So Jesus can do that. We can't. But here's the problem with that. In this very passage that we read tonight, what does Jesus do? Yeah. He, imme he, calls us, he immediately calls us to make judgments. He tells us not to give to dogs what is holy and not to cast our pearls before pigs. How can you obey that command unless you're willing to look at people and to make a judgment about whether or not they're a dog or a pig? Can you obey that command without making a judgment? You can't, can you? So is Jesus just like being schizophrenic? Is he contradicting himself? No, he's not. Just a little bit later, Jesus says, he warns his disciples to beware of false prophets, and he teaches them how to judge them. In verses 15 and 16, he says this, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Right? He's also calling us to recognize false prophets, to make judgments about people saying you are not a true Christian, or a true teacher, you are a false prophet because of your fruit. 
right? Now, do I need to prove that the rest of the New Testament goes on in the same kind of way that the New Testament authors were experts in making uh, judgments? In Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul calls the teachers, the false teachers of the circumcision party, dogs. In Galatians, he takes on the Judaizers and he condemns them as as preachers of a false gospel. Throughout the scriptures, we're commanded to make judgments, we're to judge false teachers. John says, quote, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. All of the epistles are full of judgments and commands to the church to make judgments about sinners, unrepentant sinners in their midst. Now, the truth is, we all know deep down that judgments are necessary, right? Right? Judgments are necessary, otherwise this world does not move forward. It does not exist. Judges and juries make judgments. Police officers make judgments. Doctors make judgments. Professors, admissions officers, they make judgments. Coaches, referees, players make judgments. Some of them bad. Employers make judgments. Movie critics make judgments. Casting directors make judgments. We all make judgments. And we hold people accountable to make good judgments about who to hire, who to employ, who to pass and who to fail, who to treat and how to treat them, who to acquit and who to convict. So, why is it that it seems to me that the only place today we can't make judgments is in the church, among Christians, among fellow believers. I think the answer is that some pigs have gotten a hold of some beautiful pearls and trampled them. And now I have to sort through my notes, which are out of order. Here's what happens in the church. The most judgmental, censorious, and nasty people you will find today are the people who run around quoting this passage to you. Judge not lest you be judged. The kind of people that run around judging everybody else for being judgmental and censorious and legalistic, and, oh yeah, judgmental. They may not air their judgments out loud, but they hold them privately if they don't air them out loud. And boy, are they smug and self-righteous. This is an epidemic in the church. The church in America is full of a certain kind of person who is only capable of making rash, judgmental judgments of things that they just don't happen to like or that make them uncomfortable. 
And it tends to work out this way because of this principle. Have you ever heard of the principle a thief thinks everybody steals? So what, is, what does that principle mean? What is that? It's kind of a proverb. What does it mean? A thief thinks everybody steals. You project your behavior onto other people. You project your sins onto other people. A thief, because it's so ingrained in who he is, thinks everybody's like him, thinks everybody steals. A judgmental person thinks everybody else is judgmental. A person who sits around judging other people thinks everyone else is just like them, judging them constantly, just like they're always, constantly, without ceasing, judging everybody else around them. Does that make sense? And so they're constantly making accusations about other people because they can't stop being judgmental because they're insecure and they need to feel superior to others. And they feel that everybody else is judging them constantly. What's the truth? Probably nobody cares. Right? Probably nobody cares. Probably nobody's thinking about you all that deeply. Probably you're the problem. We have to make judgments. We have to learn to make judgments without being judgmental. Making godly judgments is like trying to walk on the edge of a knife. Once you repent of making no judgments at all about anybody, what do you begin to do? You begin to fall off the other side and become judgmental. Now, this is part of what it means to grow in holiness. It's to constantly be sinning, then repenting, and then sinning in your repentance, and then repenting of the sin that you sin in your repentance, and sinning while you're repenting of your sinning in your repentance. Does that make sense? We're constantly, you know, bouncing around, trying desperately to be godly. Right? And we, we, sin, we err on one side, we repent of that error, and we end up on the other side. Right? We're not going to make any judgments about anybody. Oh, I should, I should be making judgments. Okay, I'm going to be judging everybody all the time. Making godly judgments is difficult. Jesus is making judgments in this passage. He's commanding you to make judgments, but he's warning you of being a hypocrite in your judgments. So let's look closely at the passage. Judge not that you be not judged. There's the command. Okay? There's the command. Judge not that you be not judged. Judge not. Well, judge not's the command. The ground is that you be not judged. He's telling you why you ought not to judge. Why ought you not to judge? 
Because you will be judged. You will be judged by who? By God. And how will he judge you? How does God judge us? Two ways, temporally and eternally, right? He judges us temporally. Have we seen in our study through Acts temporal judgments? Give me the the example. Ananias and Sapphira, right? Judges us here and now. And then we stand before him and have to face him. By the standard that we hold others to, that will be the standard we're measured by. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, the standards you set for others be the standard that God holds you to. And then he uses an illustration to explain and to apply what he commands, what he means. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and then when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. What's the point of the illustration? Is the point of the illustration that you should never take a speck out of your brother's eye? What's the point? Deal with yourself first, right? The issue he's dealing with are people who judge others and who have no ability to judge themselves. Who have a two by four in their own eyes. So blind that they can't see their own sin. Because they don't see their own sin, they feel mighty righteous, righteous enough to sit in judgment on the sins of other people. Because they're blind to their own sin. Self-righteous. Fools. Ready, more than happy to make judgments of others. Delighting to find fault in others. Aiming to tear down rather than to build up without mercy, without grace, without love. Warnings about making judgments abound throughout the Scriptures. That's why in Galatians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. One of the judgments that God deals out to Christians who are judgmental is the privilege of falling into the same sins that they judge others of. Does that make sense to you? Do you understand that from that passage, that when you have a brother or sister in sin, and you go to them, and instead of being mindful of your own sin, instead of being tenderhearted towards your brother or sister who has stumbled, you become liable to be tempted by the same sins yourself? 
ask yourself some questions. Where and how are you judgmental? And where and how are you refusing to make right judgments? We want to be wise. We want to be sharp. We want to be discerning. Jesus calls us to be discerning. Jesus calls us to make judgments. We have to look at the world around us and engage it. We have to look at what passes for godliness and engage it. We have to take it head on. But we can't do that kind of work unless we're first mindful of our own sinfulness, unless we first see our own wickedness, unless we see the ways that we fail. Right, it's one thing to know what happened last Tuesday was just dumb at best. It's another thing, it's another thing to look at yourself and to examine the ways that you try to love others and care for others, the ways that you're willing to engage with unbelievers and the ways that you fail, and still see the failures of last week. Does that make sense to you? What I want us to be is not a group of isolated, insular students, right? That does a really good job of knowing how everybody else is doing things wrong. Me. But who is engaged in trying to be faithful to loving our neighbors, to caring for our neighbors. And that does mean calling out dumb things as being dumb. But the bigger question is what's behind your motive? What's motivating you? What's behind you saying that was dumb? Is it because you care about the people that were there? Or is it because you like to be right and feel superior to people? But let's get beyond last week. More practically. Right now, immediately for you. Who do you judge? Do you think somebody around you is a bad friend? 
how good of a friend are you? Are you there for other people the way you expect and demand other people to be there for you? Or are you just an emotional leech that expects everyone to be there when you need them and are bitter when they aren't, when they aren't there to serve your needs? Do you think that someone is too harsh or too critical? How harshly are you judging them? How critical are you being? Do you think that you are better than someone else? Is that just because you can imagine doing what they do better than they do? Do you think you're superior to somebody else? Do you look down on somebody? Why would you even... Why would you ask that question? Why would you look down on anyone? Why would you think about whether or not you're better than somebody else. Loving one another is hard work. Loving others is hard work. Obeying Jesus when he says, judge not lest you be judged, is hard work. You have to be humble. You have to be meek. You have to know your sin. You have to be ready to forgive others and quick to forgive others. And when that's your character, then you'll be free to come to somebody and call them out in their sin. And you'll have real liberty of conscience. Because you'll actually be loving them. Spiritual maturity is not simply seeing and discerning. Seeing and discerning error is child's play. Anybody can do it. You need to do it because you love people. Love ought to compel you to be discerning. Love ought to compel you to see the speck in your brother's eye and to want to take it out while examining your own eyes, while looking carefully to yourself. But love demands... 
Love demands that you be that way. Love demands that you be discerning. But being discerning doesn't mean that you love people. I want you to love your neighbor. I want you to love each other. I want when you guys decide to go to forums like the Veritas Forum last week, I want you to go there because you love people. I want you to go there looking to love people. Looking to engage people. Not looking to tear it down so that you can feel smug and superior. I want when you think about one another to think about one another with charity and to look first at your own sin. I want when you call one another out, I want you to do it because you love each other, not because you are trying to tear each other down under the guise of godliness. That's wicked. I want you to stop worrying what other people think of you and realize that probably you're just being, you're just a judgmental person and you need to repent. And it's as simple as that. I want you to stop feeling superior to others for their failures because you know what? You have enough failures of your own. Humility and charity, that's what ought to characterize you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would forgive us of our hypocrisy and our sin. And I pray that you would give us tender hearts, fill us with love so that we can make good judgments. Help us, Father, to love one another, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.